Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Jason. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Jason, you've been on good behavior, so we're letting you out of your cage. Oh, am I hosting this one? <laughs> <laughs> so tell um, tell us about this gem that you dug up. Yeah, so Sathya, uh, his, uh, I guess, book uh, agent, editor, I'm not sure how that works, reached out to me, emailed me, um, just said, hey, we'd, we'd love to have Sathya on your show. And and it was just one of those where I felt like, yeah, this, this one feels right. So I, I said, sure, and reached out and started reading his book. And it's, it's quite fabulous. Um, I think it's a really good book for those who are like just uh, at the beginning struggles of, of trying to figure out what recovery looks like. Um, so I, I've, I've really been enjoying yeah, it. Totally. And, back, so. and I think something really cool about him, both sharing his story and just background and coaching in his program is I think he just uses really different language than our norm as far as just some, and he says some things that I think are really, you know, inspired and awesome. So we invite you to jump into this episode. Um, if you, as you know, we are a nonprofit. So if you go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships, if you are in need of some resourcing help for your recovery um, from books, different things, we have different scholarships coming up all of the time, uh, programs, retreats. So I want you to definitely jump into doing that. Um, and uh, if you've been inspired by this message, you want to help others. Uh, no one here gets paid. Jason doesn't get paid to do the audio. Um, none of our team gets paid. And so you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate um, in order to help us fund those scholarships. Give us five stars on iTunes. Love to hear from you. Send us an email and follow us on social media at unashamedunafraid. And with that, we will get with our guest, Sathya Sam, in the studio. Sathya, my man, what's happening? What's going on, man? So all I know is anyone whose initials are SS, not that I have a bias, um, uh, but anyone whose initials are SS uh, has an incredible story and is awesome and amazing. So um, help for those in our audience who haven't heard of you, don't know you, help just kind of paint yourself into context um, for just who you are in the world. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the name is Sathya Sam, SS, uh, which gives me some awesome cred here, so that's good to know. Uh, so I'm a porn addiction recovery coach. I've been doing this for several years now. Um, I, I see the, the, even though I call myself a coach, I think what I do is very pastoral. And so on a technicality, I am a fourth generation pastor. So my dad, granddad, and great granddad were all pastors. Um, so that's pretty cool. I am married. I've been married for two and a half years. My wife and I just lived in Jamaica for the last six, seven months. So that was really that's fun. That's so rude. <laughs> yeah, I'm Why not even sorry. Why would you tell us that? <laughs> <laughs> it was super fun. Uh, my wife is Jamaican, so and all, all the work I do is online. So I'm based out of Toronto, Canada, and it's cold here in the winters, man. So I made my way to Jamaica and uh, kept working there. That was super fun. And yeah, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Okay, awesome. And um, we'll we'll talk more about the book at the end, but tell us the question, and we'll get into your story and write some of your passion and stuff like that. But tell us um, why the book, what you felt the purpose of that was, how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, the reason I got into this line of work is because when I was addicted and struggling and trying to get free, I became super frustrated by the lack of useful and effective resources. 
So it just sort of planted this thing in my heart of like, one day I will get free. And when I do, I'm going to do everything in my power to help as many other people as possible. And so I think a huge part of that, um, and for me, I feel like God's gifted me with the ability to communicate, to teach. And so I, I try to offer as much as what we do here um, in just a very accessible and affordable way. So a book was one of the easiest ways to do that. We also have a daily podcast here, and um, and all of that is with the same heart. It's like we're just trying to resource and equip people and make it as accessible as possible. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so... Uh, tell us, you know, kind of just drop us right into the story. Like how, you know, how did you end up, uh, actually I'm changing my mind. So maybe Jason will edit that or not. So I feel like what you just told us, cause, cause we had magic Mark Pimsler on here. If you didn't listen to our episode on codependency, it's awesome. But we, I always ask this question, like, tell me who you are. And so Mark starts talking about his identity. I'm like, yeah, so tell me who you are. And he's like, oh no, you're asking what I do. <laughs> and so I, and that was powerful to me. I'm like, that's so true. And identity is so tied right to struggling with addiction. So I feel like you told us what you do and some of your passions, right? But now I want to ask the question, tell us who you are. Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, that that's actually an easy one for me. I'm, I'm a son of God. That's where everything starts and ends for me. And, um, I think, you know, the, the, this close second would be, you know, being a husband, uh, being a son to my biological parents who mean a lot to me, being a brother to my siblings. Um, those relationships matter a lot, but being a son of God, that's where everything starts for me. Awesome. And what makes you unique as one of his sons? Oh man. Wow. We're just going in. This is good. We, we dig deep here. Yeah, I like it. I really like it. You know what? I think, I think there's two things. Number one, um, I would say I'm, I'm quite, um, I'm resilient in a pretty lighthearted way. I'm not particularly, particularly brash about it. And then I love communicating. I think the one thing that we do all day more than anything else is communicate. And, um, and I love communicating. So those are, those are two things that come to mind when you ask a, a very deep probing heart question like that. Yeah, totally. So, so take us all the way back, um, kind of in the heart space to give us some right origins of your story of, of how things happened, what that looked like, um, and how, you know, where you were that kind of led you into this path of, uh, you know, struggling in addiction. Yeah. So like I mentioned, a fourth generation pastor. So grew up in a pastor's home. I had a, uh, I, I would say it's probably atypical now, uh, in the sense that my parents were both amazing. They were the same people on and off the stage, very consistent in their character. The The home was a safe place for me. I didn't have the tumultuous upbringing. And they even forked out the cash for us to go to like a private Christian school. So uh, just everything was church and faith and everything associated with it. I got exposed to porn in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. That was in 2001, guys. So that's like before broadband internet, before the smartphone. So, um, even then it was still super accessible, uh, completely by innocence. My friend just was like, Hey, uh, my buddy told me to check out this website. He probably knew what it was, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't, you know, and I, um, I skipped a grade. So, uh, I mentioned that because I was always a year, like less developed, I would say on the physical side mm -hmm. and the sexual side than my peers. So I think they were super intrigued by, by it and probably thought it was a little bit funny. I, I just did not understand what was going on. It was just overwhelmed in every sense of the word, but there was obviously that curiosity that was aroused. So when I did hit puberty and start to develop, the seed was planted and I, I returned back to that website eventually and, you know, just start to kind of develop the habit. Um, by the time I was in high school, porn was a pretty regular part of my life. I, I wasn't dependent, I would say at that point, but it was definitely there. 
And then it was really when I was in university pursuing an education, that was sort of the crux of it. That's when porn was really um, something that was part of everyday life, something that was always integrated. Everything I did in my day always revolved around when I was going to go watch porn. And, uh, and that was sort of the worst part of my addiction. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in for James here since he's not with us, but um, I'm going to ask you a question that James likes to ask. And, and the question is, at this point in your life, who was God to you? I know you said you're the son of a pastor, you're raised in a Christian home, you're going to Christian school, but in your heart, who is God to you? Yeah, I was very high achieving, especially academically from a pretty young age. Like I mentioned, I skipped a grade. So God to me was the guy who loved me and approved of me as long as I performed well. Hmm. We, we can't relate to that at all. No, I'm sure. I'm sure none of your listeners can either. Um, but, you know, and the other element that I haven't really mentioned is that my parents are both Indian and Indian culture is pretty hush about sexuality and those kinds of matters also. And very strong on the side of, I would say, especially academic performance. So all of those things played into my idea and my construct of who God was and how I related to him. All of it was about my works and my performance. So there's a lot of shame wrapped around um, your identity as a, as a, as a, you know, an Indian, right? Your parents being Indian, that culture, there's shame wrapped around your sexuality. Can't talk about it. Am I, am I hitting a ringing a bell there? Big time. Yeah. 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 Big time. And then the, I think the other element of the shame is just like um, you, when you grow up in a performance culture or with a performance mindset, you're always conscious of the bar. And you're always very aware of when you have hit the bar, when you have surpassed the bar, and certainly when you have fallen short of the bar. And so the shame kind of exacerbates any moment you have where you feel like you're not matching up and you're not good enough. And um, it was it was frequent. You know, I was watching porn a lot. Yeah, and I, I mean, I personally can relate to, um, for me, it was an academic performance. That was not my bag, but um, athletics was the big one for me. And so that was, I was, I was a grade up in athletics. And so all the athletic teams I played on, I was ahead and, um, and yeah, I just, I, I can strongly relate to, um, and I guess this is the part that I would name is like, uh, at what point in time, and I'm, and you can tell me if this wasn't how it was for you, I'm speaking for me. Like I, I only realized way later in recovery, like, oh, this is how I managed. Like, this is how I made everything keep spinning. Like it, it was, it was, I didn't know how to put fuel in the car. Cause like at the rate at, that I had to be successful and on point and on like was like not the way that we should ha- like function in a healthy way. Um, still something I wrestle with. And, um, and so like, when did you, when did it come to your mind? Like, Oh, I think I like have to have this or this might be a problem because there has to be that rub as you're right as as church is a 360 experience around you. Like when did you start to be like, oh, I think this is a thing. Like I've got a problem. Yeah. And you mean with the addiction specifically? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in my third year of university. I was studying biological sciences and I was in an atheistic environment. The, you know, the, the general concept of God is openly mocked in those forums. Yeah. So everything that I had believed, everything I was told up until that point was being questioned by some really smart people, you know, my professors and my peers. And that caused me to do a lot of soul searching. And I, I would say this is where I really found my faith in Jesus and, and decided to become a Christian. And I knew the territory. Like I said, I was a pastor's kid. It's not like I had, I wasn't the rebel child. Like I was still actively involved in church, but I was just having this season where I'm taking ownership of my faith. 
And I knew what came with the decision. You know, I knew that it meant I had to uh, stop drinking irresponsibly. It meant I had to clean up my language and I had to quit watching porn. You know, three things that I always said, oh, I can stop those when I need to. I'll stop when I'm a professional, (laughs) stop when I get married, you know, whatever it might be, you can fill in your blank. And so the time came and like here I've committed my life and I'm super on fire for God. And so I'm drinking responsibly, not really a big deal. I've cleaned up my language, pretty easy. And I just cannot for the life of me stop watching porn. And that was when it really hit me. That was when it was like, oh, this is different. I thought they were all the same. I had them all lumped together as like my little rebel streak, my little thing that I'll you know, part ways with when I need to. And that's when it was becoming clear, like this thing has its claws sunk in a lot deeper. And I think what actually furthered it was that I started pursuing recovery by doing what the only solutions I could see out there, which were get an accountability partner and put an internet filter on your computer. And that was where I really like realized how problemed I was because everyone seemed to be getting some success from that. And I was doing them and having little to none. So, so you've realized it's a problem. You've realized that what you thought would help hasn't helped. So what did you do? Like, where do you go from there? Well, I'm, I'm pretty persistent. I mean, I knew I had to keep trying and I, I do subscribe to, I think it's Einstein's quote that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So, um, I at least had the wherewithal. I think, uh, for me, it was, it was a total God thing. I, I had had a career switch. I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I almost immediately fell a call into ministry. At the time, my pursuit was medicine. Uh, a bunch of my friends died by suicide in high school. And so I had this vested interest in mental health and really giving back to that area. But I could feel the calling. So I went to ministry school and unbeknownst to me, I had signed up for a ministry school that was all about healing of the heart. They were all about personal development, understanding the unconditional love of God, working through wounds of the past, um, emotional development. And really their whole vision was to cultivate and release leaders who would not just enter ministry with vigor, but would end ministry with vigor later on as well. Like they, they were playing the long game. And so that's when I got thrust into the deeper parts. I, I It wasn't like... I'm still addicted and I need help. It was like, I, I was actually just pursuing a career in ministry and God kind of led me on this, this heart journey without me even really realizing what I was signing up for. So that's, that's when things really started to change for me. So, um, prior to like that shift, um, tell me, I guess two questions are, so how do you feel? Um, because I know I had a really hard time seeing this until like after, And so, and I wish I would have had some compass of people to be like, hey, you know, this is maybe you might want to notice, you know, here's a couple red flag things for you. And so um, for you, how do you feel like, um, right, all of the porn use like was affecting your life? Because we know it was doing something, it was like helping you or you wouldn't have been using it, right? And so there's the payoff side that often people don't want to talk about, but it's like, there's a reason people do it. And so what was, what was the negative effect that it, you know, now being able to look back on your story, like what was the negative effect it was having on your life? Yeah. I mean, porn was my relief and my reward. It it was relief from the stresses and the cares of life, like a real comfort, a real safety, And then it was my reward, you know, because when you're pursuing an education and doing some of the work I was doing, even ministry, like you don't get your rewards right away. You don't see the finished product right in front of you. So that was, that was how I was coping with life. And the downstream effect was it really hindered my capacity for meaningful relationships with people. 
I was very good at making friends, no problems there, but to actually have like deep, more personal conversations about struggles of any kind, um, I just wasn't going there. I kept everything at an arm's length because if somebody came in, then there was the risk that I would be found out. So a lot of it was driven by uh, like what I call the shame, fear, control cycle. You know, you feel ashamed of your thing. Uh, There's the fear that you're going to be found out. So you control the situation so that you're not found out to protect the shame or the thing you're ashamed about. And that was, that was the case for me. That, that was, I say, what was really, you know, driving everything. Yeah. So how did that show up for you in relationship with women and romantically? Well, I, um, I was in a couple of romantic relationships and in all of them, I think I got the same thing, which was like, you asked me all these questions and you actually seem to be a pretty decent listener, but then I feel like I don't know anything about you. And, um, and so that's where it was, I would say I'm a little bit unique that way. Cause I was developing those soft skills just from like my education and everything else of being able to actually have pretty personal conversations, but always being on the listening end and never really letting people in. So romantically, like just always hit a wall, you know? And, um, and so I think that was a huge part of it. I would also say, because there were parts of my past that were unhealed, I, I didn't choose wisely the people that I partnered with. Uh, A lot of it was, um, was I was just repeating my own dysfunction, you know, like a a dog returning to its vomit kind of thing. Um, so it, it really took a toll on that area, I would say. Yeah. So, um, how I love that you named that because, I I found that experience, um, and I feel like people have a hard time making sense of that. So I'd maybe ask it, you know, uh, in, in at depth to you is, um, I one way I justified that everything was fine was because on the exterior, like I had huge spiritual experiences with people. Like I had people, I was serving in pastoral leadership. Like I had people be like, the spirit's with you, man. Like you're so inspired. Like you're such a gift. And so I'm like, wow. Like if I was like destroying everything and like Satan had control of my life with the sexual stuff, then like clearly God's light would not be shining in me. And so what I realized is, um, and kind of what you said that it, that my experience was the one, like the analogy I use is I'm like, I could lead people to the buffet and they would eat the food and be like, this is delicious. Thank you. But when I ate it, like I couldn't taste anything. So how would you describe that experience for you of what was going on internally for you in that distance? Yeah, I would, I would definitely resonate. I think on the exterior, nobody would have ever guessed that something like this was going on. Um, for, for all the same reasons you mentioned, just, just notable gifting, uh, the ability to really impact other people positively. I think for me, the internal thing, the thing that I was always the most conscious of was the fear of being found out. Like, I remember one time I was in a youth group. I don't know if you guys ever had an experience like this, but the pastor was like, okay, guys, today we're talking about repentance. And at the end, once, I, once I'm done talking about repentance, you guys are all going to come up, you're going to line up single file, and on the mic, you're going to share something that you've never shared with anyone before. <laughs> and uh, That's trauma-informed. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. bad. And um, all I could think about was like, am I going to admit that I watch porn? Like, is that the thing that I'm going to, that I'm going to do? Because for me, I was just so. Yes. We're all shaking our heads like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But that was the thing. Right. And like each person in front of you says their thing and you get closer and you get closer. And I copped out. I actually said, um, I said, I'm afraid that I'm not going to step fully into the things that God has for me. And that was, that was true, but it was obviously I, that was like a huge mask for kind of what was really going on. But I, I say that to say that was, that was the thing for me. It was, it was always this huge fear of being found out. And um, moments like that were just like really made me realize like, wow, I, 
I just can't imagine what people would think about me, what people would say about me. That, that was the thing. And so what that creates is a huge disconnect from yourself. So I just felt like I, I had almost like not split personalities, like the, the actual medical disorder, but that's how it felt inside. It felt like I'm one person and I can, I, I know how to turn that on. I know how to be the gifted guy, the charismatic person, able to connect with people. But then the other side of me was like, but I'm, I'm hidden. There's parts of me that people can't see. And I, I could never really reconcile those two. The farther apart they stayed, the better. So I, I can kind of relate to that. What I had a, a religious leader once call it a, a high functioning addict, right? Like very high functioning to the point where, you know, again, nobody would notice it. Um, but yeah, there's this, there's this life that you lead that like, I'm a, I'm a wonderful, beautiful person. I have a lot to offer. I'm, you know, I'm great at all these things and God loves me, but there's just this like other side that I can't ever like confront or face. Cause if I did, it would challenge this persona of who I am. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I think it's, um, like it, I actually probably a better word for it is denial. It's like, I was just in denial that this was, that this issue was actually part of who I was. It was so much easier to compartmentalize it and suppress it and to believe the stories that you wanted everybody else to believe about you. And um, I think that was the hard part. That's why it was so much easier to keep it at bay because confronting those those real parts of me was really scary. And because of my upbringing, you know, conservative Christianity, East Indian parents and everything else we discussed, I just did not have safe experiences. I don't even know if I really had any experiences of just letting people in and being accepted for the person that I that I was, you know, in spite of my flaws and failures. And um, and so it just it took those kinds of experiences in my ministry school for me to really break out of my shell. So um, when you gave your life over to God, you said that happened in university, right? Um, when you became Christian, you 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 gave your life to God. Did the addiction come harder for you at that point? Did it come after you harder? I no, I wouldn't say harder, but probably more cyclically. Um, I I got into what I like to call the binge repent cycle, and um, that one's pretty self explanatory. <laughs> but that was that was really my. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> that, that the, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm really good at quitting porn. I do it every yes, day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm the best. Nobody does it as much as me. Yeah. Um, exactly. So that was that was more my experience because I think I could I could tap into this willpower within me, you know, the, the motivated Sathya who was like, yeah, we're going to do this. You know, this time it's different. Um, I really mean it this time, God, like I'm never going to do it again. I promise if I do, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a lot of binge purging for me. I, I wouldn't say it was like more intense cravings or anything like that, but I just, I, I was just pushing myself more and more into that cycle. So, so tell us when, you, you know, you, you're, you're in university, you're kind of at the, maybe what we call the height of your addiction at that point. Um, you give your life to God and then sometime between then, then and now you meet, you know, this beautiful woman and you fall in love with her. Where are you at in your recovery story when you start that story? Uh, yeah. So let me contextualize it a little bit. I, I was talking to a mentor one time and I was um, telling him, man, I can't wait till I'm married and I'm having sex so that I won't watch porn anymore. Oh boy. Yeah. Sorry. We all laugh about that every time. Cause that's all of us. And we're, yeah, totally. Oh, hundred percent. And he was like, bro, marriage is a magnifier. Like it was just loud and clear. He's like, if it's a problem now, it's a bigger problem on the other side of the wedding. And I was like, okay. 
And I trusted him enough to believe him. I honestly didn't get it. Like just in my kind of incompetence as a young 20 year old, I, I didn't, didn't get it, but I believed him and I took it really seriously. And I had two prayers during recovery. Recovery for me was about a five year journey from start to finish. And my first prayer I already mentioned, it was, God, I pray that I get free so that I can help as many other people as possible get free as well. My second prayer uh, in light of the advice I got from my mentor was, whoever my future wife is, keep her on hold until I get this sorted. And so those were those are my two prayers. Uh, February 2016 was when I had my last relapse and November 2016 was when I met Shaloma. So God answered that prayer and it wasn't all daisies and roses. I learned a lot during dating and engagement, especially about how to walk out recovery in a romantic environment. Because like I mentioned before, a lot of my romantic experiences were quite dysfunctional because of my experience with porn. And, um, and we could get into that a little bit about some of the things I learned, but that was sort of, that's how these two things kind of intersected. Yeah, no, super cool. So um, one question I'm curious, this is totally just selfish for me, just because feeling the similarities between us. So um, you talked about, right, like, the earning it with God, right? Like if I'm performing academically and in church, then then God's happy with me. And I, and I can also relate to you about where that bar is and, and having the experience of like, oh yeah, no, I totally bet the bar. Like, like, got it, check. You know what I mean? Like I remember being like, yeah, totally. Like our team scored 60 points in this game and I scored 25 of them. Like, yep, I'm the man, nailed it, like we did it, you know? Um, and so um, looking at that, like, mindset, like, did that version of God follow you into your recovery process where where it was now sobriety was the performance metric? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, my short answer is actually no. And I I don't know how to explain it other than to say, at some point along the way, I learned that sobriety was a futile endeavor and my mission was freedom. And I think sobriety is very easy to, to measure with a, an external metric, but sobriety is a matter of the heart. And that, that was my aim. So no, that, and that was really, that was how I actually healed, you know, was learning, was learning that God was actually more interested in, in the stat of my, sorry, the state of my heart and the cares of my heart than he was anything externally. So that was, um, that was more the paradigm I was operating by. Where, where did you find that, that connection? Sorry, Steve, I'm cutting you off. No, it's, it's what I want to ask. Go. Okay. Where did you find that connection between like, um, you know, God loves me except, and like, I'm letting God in to see who I am. Right. Cause like, that's the turning point for you. Right. So like, where did that come? How did you find that? I, I mean, so my personal conviction is it has to be experienced emotionally. Like it has to be experienced at a, at a heart level. And what I mean by that is it's one thing for me to be like, okay, God, um, you know, today I lusted, today I was tempted or today I watched porn, you know, whatever it is. Can you please forgive me? That's one thing. It's another thing to say, God, today I lusted, today I was tempted, uh, today I watched porn. What do you think about me? And just inviting him into the moment not not bringing it up with the intent to resolve, but bringing it up with the intent to process. It's in the experience where your brain starts to create some space between who you are and what actually makes you worthy of love. And I think that that space is where you actually can you can experience it at a heart level. I think too many people are are quick to sandwich these things together. It's like, yes, God loves me unconditionally, and um, you know, I'm I'm His son. Very easy to say that in kind of rote 
rhetoric, but it's in the space of trying to reason, trying to rationalize how, um, and and ultimately experiencing it at an emotional level. That's that's to me where the rubber really hits the road, and that that was my experience. And probably the most practical thing I could offer your audience in this arena was journaling. Journaling was just the place for me where I could be very honest about how I was feeling, the thoughts I was having, the desires that were surfacing, and then say, but God, what do you think? And just giving them a chance to, to see me, to see me in, in all of the honesty and all of the raw transparency, and then in letting him speak love, letting him speak life. Um, sometimes, hey, what's that all about? You know, giving correction or asking more questions. Um, that experience of God for me was just so revolutionary, and that, that's where things really started to shift. So you let him see you, and then you let him tell you what he was seeing. Yeah, I like that. Well, and I, and I love that because I feel like a frustration, I mean, I've had, and I think we all have, is I'm like, whatever, I've journaled, it didn't work. Whatever, I prayed, it didn't work. I went to the 12-step meeting, I went to 10 12-step meetings, I've been to eight different therapists, I did six different online programs, five different filters, but I love what you're naming is it's like the question I'm asking, right? Because it's like, yeah, you went to to whatever it was, eight different therapists with the idea of, Hey, just, I need this to your point of not as a matter of the heart emotionally, but like get this behavior out of my life. And I remember, um, a a client I had that I, it just was a, not everyone always gets to me. This one got to me because I'd met with him twice in the second meeting. I said, so what I'm understanding is if nothing else about your life changed, but you just weren't looking at porn, you'd be free and good and done. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, you don't get it. Right. And then I, and then I remember really being like, oh, like I'm not that guy. So if you want to do matters of the heart, I'm ready to go. Like if you just want to, if you just want to say, I'm not doing the actual behavior, so I'm good. I'm out. And we ended the session like 20 minutes early. He's like, oh yeah, no, I'm not doing any of that. Like it just has to be done and I don't care boop. So we're good. Bye. And I remember just being like, oh man, like, I don't know, maybe I should have been softer around it or, you know. And so I guess like for you, um, you know, what, what was some of the barriers for you to, from the journaling to whatever it was to remind yourself, like, this isn't about the rote. This isn't about checking the box. It's really to actually enter relationship with God. Because I feel like we all say that all the time. Like, I was doing all the stuff, but then I knew it was about my relationship with God, and then all the stuff worked. So, like, (laughs) unpack that a little bit for us. Like, how did that actual shifting happen for you? Because you had as much rote stuff in your childhood, upbringing, life, taught in church, whatever is, as I mean, we were all laughing about the, you know, stand up and repent story. You know, it's like you had a lot of the same stuff, a lot of us experienced. So like, like what really caused that movement for you? Like for the people listening right now that are like, okay, cool. It worked for you. I cannot get it to work for me. Yeah. I, I think, so two things come to mind. One is, is sort of what I mentioned already, but I'll, I'll say it a bit of a different way. It's, it's easy to come to God when you have your life together um, but it's much more life-changing to come to God when you don't. And I think I I was not familiar with that. The idea of God actually seeing the depth of my pain and brokenness was really scary. In theory, I knew that he saw it all anyway. He's omnipresent and he's all-knowing. 
But the, to actually make the conscious decision to be seen, that was really scary. But that's where a lot of it changed. It, it was just the conscious decision of God, I know you see me exactly as I am. I know I already touched on that. The other thing, this is just this is just kind of practical, but it was really helpful. I'm sure you guys have heard somebody talk about doing affirmations and the power of, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue and you declare those truths and whatever, whatever. So I, I ran into a lot of um, frustration with that as well because it's like, you know, some for some reason we think if we just speak into thin air, suddenly things are just going to magically fall into place. And when I was making this discovery that it's like, oh no, it's about the change of the heart. I kind of got curious and I thought, I wonder if there is a way that I can actually speak the truth. Because of course, that is, a, it's a biblical concept. There is truth that, you know, speaking life is, is good, you know, and speaking healthy things is good. Yeah, totally. And I guess I just thought, is there a way I can do that where it's actually going to impact my heart? And I don't know, I don't know what prompted this kind of idea, but I still remember I was, I was on the tail end of, of like my, my relapses. Obviously I didn't know that at the time, but they were getting fewer and farther in between and my heart was really healing up and I, things were starting to change for me and I had a relapse and I could feel, I could feel the, all of the old thought patterns coming back of like, Oh no, you're a failure. And like, let's go repent again. And just, it was all flooding back. And I thought, no, like I, I'm, I have to curb these thoughts somehow. I'm not going to wallow. I'm not going to go back to my old place, but I, I didn't want to be fake about it. And so all I could think of in the moment, I was, it was in the bathroom. And before I got out, I stood in front of the bathroom mirror. I looked myself square in the eyes, like just dead center of my pupil. And I just said, Sathya, you're going to figure this out. Sathya, you're loved. And you know, there's that proverb that the eyes are the window to the soul. Yeah. And I, I just felt like in that moment, it was, it was the only time I can remember, uh, at least up until that point where I was speaking the truth and it was actually penetrating my heart. Like there was just an openness. I think part of it was because I had just had a relapse and I was raw, but I know the other element was I was not just speaking truth into the thin air. I was actually looking myself in the eyes and speaking it into the depths of my soul. And that was, that was really helpful for me to start bridging that gap. So again, I don't want to give something overly simplistic and practical, but, but truthfully speaking, th those two things were really helpful. No, it's fantastic. And I, and I think kind of staying on that thread, um, I, and, and Chris, the Hulk of Hope is sitting here with us. And I think one thing that blew my mind that gave me a lot of hope early in recovery, which I, which I first heard from Chris in his story was the idea of like not managing this forever. And, and you, and you named that earlier when you're like, there was a start and an end to my recovery. And as you and I both know, there's a lot of people in the recovery community that actually don't believe that and believe in once an addict, always an addict. And you're going to be managing. I, the, I always wrestle with that concept. Cause I'm like, I thought Jesus healed but uh, well, let's talk about that. Um, but um, anyways, and so, uh, so tell me like, what, what are the key factors? So like found change of heart, found the matters of the heart. Like, so what are some key factors for you like that have kept the sobriety? Because, and I'll even name just in my own vulnerability, I feel like have a, I've had a ton of heart change and and struggled with the sobriety and so that's you know it's been a frustration of my wife she said she's like you can help so many people and your heart has changed so much but yet like the sobriety is still a thing like name that for us you know and so what what have been some of the ways for you that you feel like you've been able to move to like that spot of like no I don't feel like I'm managing this I don't feel like I'm like trying to tap dance to like keep my sobriety streak but really I just feel like it's well yeah, yeah. So a few things come to mind. One is definitely a conscious and concerted effort to connect. 
Um, like I said, I think because of my addiction, I was just accustomed to keeping people at arm's length. So just intentionally getting myself in places and positions where I have to be transparent goes a really long way. And um, actually, there's a story that was coming to mind. Um, my wife and I were dating at the time. Maybe we were engaged. And I had been free of porn for maybe about a year and a half at that point. And this particular day was was bad. I, I was in a really hard season just vocationally. And, and there was a bunch of life change. And I was super stressed. And all of my old desires to, to watch porn were coming back, which was unusual because at that point, I had quite a bit of freedom. And so um, it was Wednesday. And the reason I know it's Wednesday is because every Wednesday night is day night. So I'm at work and all day I'm kind of jonesing. I'm just thinking, dang, man, like, like I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I just, I know that this is not a good position for me to be in. And I hadn't talked super openly with Shaloma at that point about, you know, my, my history. She knew about it, but we didn't really go into a lot of depths. And um, anyways, I went and picked her up after work. And we're going back to my place. And we had really strict boundaries when we were dating. You know, we, we actually chose not to kiss while we dated. Um, and that was, that was a personal thing. That's not a formula that people have to subscribe to. That was just our thing. Um, we had pass. And we, we just knew that we wanted to make sure we, got, we were getting to know each other properly and not distracted by the physical part at that stage of the relationship. So anyways, we're pulling into, into my, uh, my driveway. And I'm, I'm just really nervous because I have these cravings and these urges coming up. And I know we're going to be alone in my place. And I, I just don't know what's going to happen. And right as she's getting out of the car, I'm like, Sathya, the thing that got you here, bro, talk to her. Just talk about it. And so I was like, babe, wait, wait, wait. And um, she's like, what? And uh, I was like, hey, uh, I, um, I've just been feeling tempted all day. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Just a bit of a tough day for me. I've been feeling tempted all day. And I'm really nervous that we're going to make a mistake um, when we go into my apartment. And, you know, she... I just saw her shoulders relax and she was like, Hey, thanks so much for telling me. Um, don't worry. Like I'll pick up the slack tonight. And if we need to, we can go somewhere else. Just plain and simple, like nice and easy, not a big deal. But I, I learned in that moment. And this is one of the things that has been really preventative for me is I would rather confess a temptation than confess a mistake. And, and I think too often Preach. we wait, <laughs> too often we wait, right? We wait until after the math to try to do some cleanup. But I think building that self-awareness and understanding yourself well enough to know, hey, I, I actually need some help now before this becomes something worse. That's helped me a lot over the years. So that's why that consistent and conscious effort to connect with people now is so impactful for me. Because I just know that if I'm doing that regularly, I'm much less likely to kind of veer down that path, even in my worst and weakest moments. Yeah, no, I love that. So um, I, I think our our final question here before we go jump into the bonus, um, and this has been so rich, um, but I want to make sure we name this just because kind of the path that you've been on. Um, so to those who have uh, had the spectrum, right, who because of misunderstanding and poor communication, haven't really gotten to know God's true identity, who um, weren't uh, in settings or circumstances of family life or community where they were able to learn um, about you know, God and, and to the other end of, of those, you know, of our brothers and sisters who had God weaponized against them or used in an abusive matter, like to, so to all of those people who have, have gotten the, the misinformation, um, you know, being told that it was true of God's identity, but misled, um, as we wrap up here, I, I think, 
one thing that I've just I'm just drawn to in you and your light is, you know, Cynthia, tell us like who is God really? Like who have you come to find? Like what is his nature, identity, like who is this to you? There's a scripture in Psalm that talks about how God is rich in love and slow to anger. And I think that's who God is to me. He he leads with love. And if we broaden anger as emotion, um, you know, the the feelings, um, the hurt, any anything that you may think you've caused him um, is a very distant second. He he leads with love. And the only reason that God could ever feel any emotion about what you've done is because he cares about you. And I think when we when we separate God and we, we when we make him this person who's just this guy in the sky, kind of out of reach, it's it's very easy to be like, oh, I I know I did this, but it's fine. Like he'll forgive me. It's easy to make that separation. But the reality is, God is more personable than you and I. Uh, God God cares more. He feels more than any other person you could ever meet. And that relational aspect of him is actually what makes all of this worthwhile. It's just the fact that he's present. He's in the moment. He cares. He cares about the little things, the trivial things of your life, and he cares about the big things as well. And it's that presence that he has about him on a heart level that makes this life worth living. And if if that person I'm describing to you feels so out of reach and you're like, hey, that's great, but I know I'm just hearing that in my head. It's in one ear and out the other. That's okay. My encouragement to the person who's in that place would be just take one step. Recovery happens in a collection of baby steps over a long period of time. And I think you you don't have to have this all figured out. You don't have to have that kind of understanding or magnificence about it. Just take one step. Just just try try a journal question. Try try a, an honest prayer. Try looking yourself in the mirror. Uh, and if you're brave enough, maybe speak a little bit of truth and and let's see what happens. Just take a step today and you'll be amazed. I love that. I love that. So before we jump off to, uh, we always have people pick a song, but before we have you pick a song that's meaningful to you, I'm pulling out the timer. We actually have an ad for a book and I think you're the right guy to talk about it. So we're going to invite you one minute timer, ready, go to unashamed and unafraid Ali. Plug your book. Ready, go. All right, book is called The Last Relapse, and we really have one goal with all the stuff we do. It's to help people resolve the root issues of their problems. And so um, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not a formula, um, but it's a process for you to start getting a little bit more underneath the surface in a way that's research-based and um, tons of stories. It's written very conversationally so that anybody could dig into it. And um, you may not get everything that you need. I can't promise that you're going to be recovered after you read it, but I promise you'll have more hope than ever before. And you'll have some practical things that you can start applying right away into action. So it's called The Last Relapse, available everywhere. And I'll, I'll back it up. I'm about chapter four, so that's not very far, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty good so far. <laughs> so um, available in audiobook. Yeah. Yep. Available in all formats. And uh, your listeners can actually get a free copy of it, a free digital download at thelastrelapsebook.com. And then you have a podcast too, right? Real quick. Yeah. Podcast is called Unleash the Man Within. And we are a daily podcast because when you are struggling, you need help every single day. So, um, so yeah. Unleash the Man Within. Yeah. Awesome. And then if you had a song that you feel was representative of, you know, your story, this walk, um, you know, recovery, God, if we were to put a song to attach to your story, what would that song be? Oh, what a great question. So the song that actually 
comes to mind is an old song, not super well known, probably about 10 years old now. It's called Hope's Anthem by Bethel Music. And I, I think you got you actually mentioned it before we hit recording, uh, before we hit record, Stephen, which is that, you know, everything we do, every episode, every page of the book, um, every resource we put out, it, it is information and hopefully it's inspiring and whatever else, but ultimately it's hope. And I think that's, that's what propels people to at least make one step after another, you know, to put the little foot in front of the other. Um, for me, certainly, that was the thing that kept me going when I tried for two and a half years, you know, to get free and nothing was really working. It was just that hope that it was possible. And so uh, that's my hope. You know, that's my hope is that the, the song will inspire some of that as people listen. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, uh, yeah, man, thank you from one SS to another. Um, super awesome, uh, to have you on here with us. And, um, so, uh, to all those who listen, please give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world, uh, finds us and, and looks for us. So, um, to go there, um, would love to hear from you, reach out to us, um, send us an email. And, uh, if you are in need of help, um, we are a nonprofit 501c3. So if you need a scholarship, we invite you to go to unashamed unafraid.com slash scholarships um, and apply. Follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. And um, if this is inspiring to you and you want to help us help others, um, all of the money goes to scholarships. We don't pay Jason for doing any of this audio work or anyone else. And so um, you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate um, to help others in recovery and help us fund those scholarships. Um, and also we'll be giving away some copies of the book here. Um, so I invite you to go to the website as well and follow us on social media for that. And um, then you get a little special present of joining us as our outsiders. And our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And then can jump into the bonus content with us here, some additional questions and some soapboxing, whatever, wherever it is that he wants to go. So we invite you to go and donate so you can come and join us in that bonus content. And until we speak again, continue to be unashamed. And with that, we'll leave you with Hope's Anthem by Bethel Music. He's awakening the hope in me by calling forth my destiny. He's breathing life into my soul. I will thirst for him and him alone. He has come like the Showers on the barren plain. So my heart, tongue confess, Jesus Christ, the hope of man. My hope is in you, God. I can say.
joy, he is my joy, he is the hope of the nations, the Father's heart we're embracing, and he is the song we're declaring, and he is the joy, he is my joy, he's bringing hope to the hopeless, and giving his heart to the broken, and sharing his home with the orphan, he is the joy, he is my joy. Yeah. Hey.